0: Good morning, everyone, and thank you for all of you who have joined us online. We welcome you to Sugar Creek Baptist Church today. And for everybody on all of our four campuses that are in person, yay, God, for you being here. It is Sunday morning at Sugar Creek, and thank you for being a part of this. Today is the last message in our series, Because He Lives. This song for the last 50 years has been a blessing to our life. It's so many times has encouraged us. It is, it has turned our fear into faith. It has been a wonderful and powerful song in our life because he lives. I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he holds my future and life is worth the living just because he lives. It's that last phrase I want to talk to you about today, that life is worth a living. Even when we're going through hurt and heartache and difficulty and struggle, even when it seems like everything is falling apart, life is worth the living just because he lives. I want to talk to you about that very thing today. Robin Williams was a, an incredible comedian. He was probably the greatest improv actor of all time. I can't imagine anybody being better than him. I came to know about uh, about, uh, uh, Robin Williams because of a show that he starred in early on called Mork and Mindy. I think the, that sitcom Mork and Mindy had to be the most boring show I guess I had ever seen. I just could not watch it. It just didn't make any sense at all to me. But every so often I would tune in because I just wanted to hear what was gonna come out of his mouth. I mean, what I couldn't believe this guy and, and how he could speak and, and what things would he would say. And the truth is, he didn't follow the script. I came to, to, to realize he didn't follow the script. And poor, that woman that played Mindy, poor woman. She had to be so on her toes because there was no telling where he would turn the show. He would just go crazy. He was just a fun guy to listen to. And then when he became an actor, uh, there, not, every, not every one of his movies, but there were several of his movies that was just so interesting and so entertaining. Who will forget Mrs. Doubtfire? And that show, and and Good Morning uh, Vietnam, and the and Hook. He took that whole idea, and the writer of the show, obviously, did, but he, he did so well with it, took the whole idea of Peter Pan and sort of twisted and gave it some new meaning and, uh, with the, the, the movie Hook, and then Night at the Museum. I mean, there were just so many good movies that he was the star in, and he did such a great job with it. But as time went by, Robin Williams' movies became darker and sadder all the way to the end. And what we didn't realize is that in real life, he was struggling from acute depression, deep depression in his life, and and a sense of loneliness and, and disconnect, isolation. This last week was the seventh anniversary of his death. I can hardly believe that seven years have gone by since Robin Williams died. And I thought about where our country is. That, not everybody, obviously, but so much, the feel in the country is desperation, you know, and depression and isolation. And it's doing crazy things. I mean, it's, there are times in which I think I'm living in crazy town, and I don't mean Houston, I just mean the world, I mean, the country, crazy town. A couple weeks ago, whenever it was, the two women who were at the concession stand at the Atlanta Braves baseball game, and they're just standing in line, didn't know each other, and they got in a fist fight. A fist fight in the concession stand. They don't even know these people who each other are. And the picture that we got to see in the news was they're on the the concrete just slugging it out. Why? Was the hot dog not good? I don't know what was going on. But it's just crazy. And then every week we hear somebody on a flight hitting somebody else and hitting the, the flight attendants and I mean, just going nuts. And then Kathy and I were talking about this yesterday The the guy that had road rage and he stopped at a stop sign and he got out of his car and he threw an ax at, an, at another car. Who does this stuff? There are just so many people. It just feels like craziness is going on all around us. Depression and isolation. And there was a guy in the Old Testament, one of the, the characters of the Old Testament is one of the, the most godly human beings probably that had ever lived. This guy named Elijah, Elijah in the Old Testament. And he goes through this deep, dark depression. And Why? I mean, you wouldn't have expected it, not from this guy. The, he experienced, both he and his protege, Elisha, experienced more miracles, more of the, the outward expression of the power of God combined than any other people in human history outside of Jesus. And yet there he is going through a time in his life so dark, so deep of Depression. I, what happens in that story that causes? And I want to look at that story today. And, and what took place is that there were two people. It was, it was the king, Ahab, and Jezebel, his wife, the queen, who, who began to worship Baal, just a pile of rocks, as all Baal was, just an idol, and turns the whole uh, country of Israel into worshiping Baal and God rises up and he 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 Causes a confrontation to take place. And here are the the prophets of Baal. And and there is Elijah, the prophet of God. And they meet at Mount Carmel. I've been there several times at this location. The Bible gives as It describes what this area is, Mount Carmel. And there the confrontation takes place. And fire comes down from heaven and consumes the sacrifice of God. And the people began to cry out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And a revival breaks out in Israel. So what happens after that takes place? Well, listen to what it says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel, here's the king talking to the queen. Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all of Baal's prophets with a sword. So Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, If by this time tomorrow, I do not make your life like one of these. And Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. And he came to a broom tree and he sat down under it and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. I'm no better than my father's. Have you ever been discouraged? Ever been depressed? That question is like, it it is the equivalent of, have you ever been alive? Because haven't all of us had times in which we've gone, been so discouraged in our life and so disappointed with things that have happened and even just depressed in our life. And Some of the greatest men of all time, some of the greatest characters in the Bible of all time have. Times in which it just feels like that the wheels have come off and and we are so discouraged and just want to quit. Just quit the team, quit, quit the job, quit the marriage. Just, oh God, I just want to quit. Some of the greatest, most godly individuals of all time have had these experiences. There is Mo- Moses in the Old Testament. Maybe the most godly man in all the Old Testament, and Moses comes to the place to say, oh God, I, I, just kill me, I just wanna die. And Job, as he is going through all the things he's going through, he just says to God, God, just get it over with, I, just, I, I don't wanna live anymore. And Jonah, Just bring it into my life, he says to God. And Jeremiah, the great prophet of God, Jeremiah, I just cursed the day I was even born. How could you even bring me into this terrible life? There are people that say, you know, if you're really a godly person, you'll never experience depression or discouragement. And I just think, well, that ain't true. That's just not true. I'm not an expert on the subject of depression, but I know it's real. I know some people go through the depths of it. it, Maybe it's because of some chemical imbalance. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's physical and emotional. There are some people that experience an acute depression, and i got to be honest with you. Those of you that are listening online right now or maybe in person, and and you go through those times of of a deep-seated depression, my heart goes out to you. I know there's some people that don't understand that and they just tell you, oh, go get a life or just get over it. They don't understand. I've not experienced that, but I know so many people that have and it's, it's real. It, it's deeply wounding and deeply hurtful and my heart goes out to you for that. I, I, I can't address that. I'm not qualified to do that. But this morning, I want to talk about a depression that probably many of us have been through. Maybe all of us from time to time in one degree or another have felt when things just seem to come apart at the seams in our life. and. And it just seems like nothing is working in our life and, and everything is falling apart. And I want to talk about this story and talk about this subject through the story that happens to Elijah because in the story we see three reasons why Elijah finds himself in this condition. Maybe, maybe that is happening in our life too. But we also see four ways in which God helps bring him out of it. And maybe God could use this in our life that as we're going through hard times and struggling times, maybe He could use it in our life. And so I want to look at it. And all within the context of life is worth the living. Even when it's hard and it's a struggle, and how are we going to get through this? But life is worth the living. Just because he lives. Let's look at three things that happens in Elijah's life that sort of brings him down. The first one is this. we got to be careful not to focus on feelings rather than facts. To not let our life get caught up in our feelings that we ignore the facts of our life. Look what happens in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid and he fled for his life and he went down to Beersheba, down in Judah, and he left his servant there. He left his servant there, don't miss that. Then he went on alone into the wilderness traveling all day and he sat under a solitary broom tree and he prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors who've already died. What is he talking about in that last verse there, in that uh, that last phrase? What is he talking about? Well, God had sent prophets before and the people of Israel had not listened to them either. And now he's saying, that, and they don't listen to me either, God. I'm just, I'm as bad of a failure as all the other guys. That's what he's saying. And then notice what he says in verse 10. I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars They've, and killed every one of your prophets. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The problem with verse 10 is only part of it's really true. And the other part is a total exaggeration. And what, what is it? Yeah, he was zealous for the Lord as God. He served God. That part is true. And somebody's trying to kill him, that part is true too. But the people that are trying to kill him, that's Ahab and Jezebel and it's mostly Jezebel. And God had already decided what he was gonna do with Jezebel. And, and, I, and Elijah never had to run from her. God was gonna deal with her. But in Elijah's mind, everybody's trying to kill me. And he's right that the people of Israel broke the covenant with God, but, but he is forgetting the fact he's just experienced revival. And they cried out, the Lord God is God. He's the true God. And they, they had a revival in Israel because of that moment at Mount Carmel. And he's forgetting all about that. And later in the passage, God says to him, by, by the way, uh, uh, you're not the only one that's following me, Elijah. You're not the only one. I got 7,000 people that have not, never bent a knee to Baal. You're not the only one that's being faithful to me. You know what he's doing? What's happening in his life is that he's exaggerating the moment. He's caught up in the feelings and the emotions. And the facts that don't fit the emotions, he's pushing them to a side. Don't we do this? Boy, I, I can really, I can really do it. I can really exaggerate my feelings. I can get caught up in my feelings and and forget all about facts that don't really, don't really correlate with my feelings, and I can get in a tizzy. It's easier to hear gripes and complaints than it is to to hear those who express gratitude and just ignore the people that are encouraging you. It's easier to see the negative and to ignore all the good around you. And Sometimes when we get caught up in all of our feelings at the moment, we can so exaggerate them that we can Forget everything else. And that is exactly what's happening to Elijah. Our feelings tend to exaggerate the negative and ignore the positive. And I'm asking you the question, is that happening to you right now? i me mean, just being honest with yourself. Backing up and letting yourself get away from the emotions. Is it possible that that's what's actually happening in your life? There's a second thing that happens for Elijah in the passage. A separation from supportive relationships can cause us to end up being very discouraged in our life. Look what happens in verse 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid, ran for his life, came to Beersheba and Judah, and he left his servant there. He left his servant there, and while he himself went a day's journey in the desert, and after a day, he is so depressed, he is so discouraged, oh God, just take my life. Don't overlook, as you're reading the passage, that phrase that he left his servant there. Now, that word servant needs to be understood in the context of that day. That guy that was accompanying him was more like a trainee. He was more like a disciple, and he was a friend, in fact, he was the only friend, he was the only person with flesh and blood who was being supportive of Elijah in his life right then. And Elijah should have never left him there. He should have had that guy with him all the time. But for some strange reason, he left his servant there and he went on a day's journey and it wasn't, didn't take but just a day, he was so discouraged, nobody encouraging him. And he fell into a terrible depression. He ended up getting totally wiped out. You know what? Every single one of us need encouragers. All of us do. And every person around us, God needs to use us as an encourager to them. All of us need it. We can't do it by ourselves. It was in the playoffs in 2016. There in January 2016, the playoffs between the the Minnesota Vikings and the Seattle Seahawks, they were really a similar team. And and, uh, there they were in the playoffs and they were playing each other and they had played just pretty much the same got down to almost the end of the game and there was just one or two points difference. The Seahawks were up, the the Vikings were driving the ball and the Vikings got all the way down to the 27-yard line of of Seattle. 22 seconds left in the game. But on, and it's now fourth down, but on that last run, got to the 27-yard line. They got so excited The Vikings got so excited because they had the secret weapon that wasn't really so secret. They had Blair Walsh, and Blair Walsh, their kicker, could hit anything. Inside the 30, he was perfect. All season long, inside the 30, he hit every single field goal. And when they got to the 27-yard line, everybody that was in the know, even in the stadium, watching on, on, on television, they knew the Vikings would win. Because Blair Walsh stepped up, and they teed it up for him, and he kicked the ball, and he missed it. No one could believe their eyes, he missed it. And the Vikings went home. And man, social media just exploded. This is where social media is such so bad. I mean, immediately it happened, and I mean they just went after him. They were just berating him and belittling him. When you and I have a disappointing moment in our life, the last place we should go to is the computer or our cell phone. Because what we start typing out when emotions have gripped us, man, that should not be written. What they should have done, everybody should have just gotten up, gone, gotten an ice cream cone. That's what everybody should have done. Or gone to Sonic and got a blizzard and just a, me, a big blizzard. And by the time they got to the end of that blizzard, they'd feel so much better. But no, they go social media, they're just telling every, telling, telling uh, Blair wash uh, uh, Walsh off and all these terrible things they were writing about this poor man. And it was at that very moment that some first grade teachers, first grade teachers got an idea. You know what, this is a moment in which it could be a learning lesson for our first graders. We could teach them about encouragement. We could teach them about empathy. And they made the decision on Monday to do a project with their kids. I gotta tell you, yay God for school teachers. Yay God for all the school teachers in public school and Christian school and homeschool, yay God for them. I want you to do better than that. I'm gonna ask all the teachers, if you are home and you are a school teacher, you're a homeschool teacher, whatever teacher you are, I want you to stand right now all over all of our, our campuses. Would all the teachers stand up. You are facing school again. Yay, God for you! Our parents are so excited that school is about to start again, and we thank God for every single one of our teachers. Well, these first grade teachers, they got together and said, "This is a good moment for our first graders," and so let's what we we'll have them all draw pictures and send a letter to Blair Walsh and just encourage him. And so they all did. And all these pictures, they did all that, all the letters. They gathered them all up, and they must have sent them by courier because he, he got them really fast, really quickly. And he was so touched by what he saw and by what he read. I want you to see a couple of, of the letters that he got. Here's the first one. Dear Blair Walsh, I, these are first graders. I think you should keep trying. Don't give up, we still love you. Get better by practicing. Get better. Some of you are wondering why people are chuckling, I don't know. Okay, here's the second one. Dear Blair, I fell bad for you. Don't give up, you're still number one. Practice more so that you can get better at kicking. You're so good at kicking. So don't give up, keep trying, we still love you. I'm pretty amazed at first graders. I mean, these are first graders. I think they did a really great job. He got maybe a hundred of these pictures and letters and he was so touched. He was going to go home the next day, but he decided not to go home. He, he called the school, talked to the principal. Could I come by? Of all things, the next morning, he came by the school, and he went to every one of these classrooms, took pictures with all the kids, signed autographs. It was a banner day in that school. And when he was interviewed, he said, he said this. He said, it was very touching to me A lot of the cards were so pretty and creative and I will cherish these letters forever. Everybody needs encouragement. Everybody does. You need it. I need it. All of us need it. And all of us need to be encouragers. Everybody needs times of support. So listen to what Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says. Let us not neglect our meeting together. Don't neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. This pandemic has brought negative patterns of isolation in our lives, especially spiritually. And what we need to do is be back. Be with each other sing songs of praise and and sing them together as we're in the room. And You say, well, here we are, and you're right, here we are. But for those who have not yet come back, there is something important about singing the songs together, being with each other. There is a sense of encouragement when we come together and we come and worship the Lord together. We hear the word of God together. There is a strength when we are together. You can be good by yourself, but you can't be great. You cannot accomplish the things that God intends to do in your life. Being alone, you need to be with the other members of the family of God. You need to be together, you need to come together. God intended us to be together, and that's why he says, I don't want you to neglect this meeting together as some people do but come back together because it's encouraging. We need the encouragement. And I know some are saying, have you not heard of the the Delta variant? And I, yeah, of course I've heard of the Delta. And Lambda, I understand is coming next. And then after that, it'll be another one and then another one. And over the next four or five years, it'll be one after another after another. It's gonna be like the flu. So what, are we never gonna come together for the next five or six years? And I'm just saying, hey, get a mask and come. And we, we have optional masks. Some people wearing masks and others that don't. And you just choose what you want to do. And but let's get together. Let's come back together. Because we are better together. We're better together than alone. There's a third thing: decision making, while we're physically and emotionally exhausted almost always leads you to the wrong direction. And this is what happened with Elijah. He he had this great spiritual moment, fire came down from heaven. The Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And then he leaves that place scared of Jezebel and all of a sudden, he is down in the pits. And I'm gonna tell you, the very same thing happens to us. It's a, an emotional swing, and sometimes what happens is we have some big emotional thing that happens in our life. We, we trusted God, we followed God, we did what God told us to do. And a, an amazing moment in our life, at top of the mountain, maybe it's church camp. We get back, and oh, before we know it, we're down in the dumps. And because it, it's at that moment, we are the most vulnerable. At the top of the mountain, most vulnerable in our life, and it's not long before we're down in the dumps, Elijah went 110 miles by foot trying to run from Jezebel. And he's emotionally and physically spent. I was in seminary one of our professors just stopped the class and said, guys, I'm going to just say something to you. All you guys that are in the ministry, don't ever make a big decision on Sunday or Monday. Never, ever, ever the rest of your life. If it's Sunday or Monday, don't ever make a decision. Because uh, Sunday is like Super Bowl Sunday. Every Sunday the pastors and then wiped out at the end of the day and don't ever make any decisions when you are physically and emotionally spent. And so many of you work so hard, so many hours in your career so hard, making so many hard decisions, so many difficult things that you are trying to work through with your business, and sometimes you just, it doesn't work out, and you're exhausted, and and no wonder you're feeling the way you're feeling, and for some of you, some of you are single moms, and honestly, you're heroes, I don't know how you do it, I don't know how single moms do it so much pressures in your life and trying to take care of your kids and meet their physical needs and spiritual and emotional needs and you're doing it by yourself. I don't know how you do it. And for those of you who are single dads and you've got the kids and I don't know, it's just a miracle how you get through life. Those times that we are wiped out is the worst time the worst time to make any decisions. There's an old Greek saying that says, you'll break the bow if you keep it always bent. And that's what happened to Elijah and he's wallowing in self-pity. So what, what does God do? How does God bring, it, bring him back? Well, just four things very quickly. The first thing is, get serious about becoming physically healthy again. Here's how you get, you're in the depths of depression. Get serious about becoming physically healthy again. Listen to what happens in 1 Kings 19, three to five. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba and Judah, he left his servant there while he, he himself went a day's journey in the desert. He came to a broom tree. Take my life, God, I'm no better than my ancestors. Now look at verse five. Then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep sleep and all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat get up and eat no sermons no criticism no rebuke from God no lightning thunder from heaven get up and eat and he brings this food from heaven I guess and brings this food and Elijah gets up and eats and you know what the angel then says to him go back to sleep who goes back to sleep and and sleeps a long time and then nudges him, gets up, wakes up again. Here's more food. God knows who we are. He knows our constitution. He knows that, that when we're not physically right, we're not emotionally right either. And notice what he says in verse 8. So he got up and ate and drank and strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Hey, give us that recipe. That's great food, man. He goes for 40 days and 40 nights. One of the ways to get right inside is to get physically right. So whatever it is, Whatever it is that helps you get physically back together again, you need to put some emphasis there. Maybe that's getting more sleep or whatever it is. One of the ways that you get out of this moment that's just so deep down in depression, put the concentration on getting physically right first. Second of all, be honest with God about how you feel. You look at verses nine and 10, that's exactly what Elijah is doing. He is pouring it out to God. He is pouring out his fear and his anger and his guilt and his loneliness, raw emotions and he just pouring it out to God. In verses nine and 10, and God just says, bring it on. I'm, I'm big, I can handle this. Just bring it on, just tell God what you're going through and how you're feeling and what you're struggling with. Tell God how you feel. The third thing that happens then is that we need to open up our heart to hear God again. And that's how God leads Elijah. Notice what happens in verse 11. Go out and stand before me on the mountain the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain and it was a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was the sound of a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, The gentle whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? What's going on in this story? God sent the tornado, but God wasn't in it. Sent the earthquake, but God wasn't in it. Sent the fire, remember the fire that came down from heaven earlier? But this time, God wasn't in the fire. And then he just sent a still, small voice, The greatest moments of hearing God are not through the big dramatic events in our life, but rather through the times of the still small voice. Because at the end of those big moments is the time we can have the greatest crash. Where we hear God is in the still small voice of God. What is this voice of God? The greatest expression of the voice of God is the Word of God. It's the Bible. Get in the Bible. Start listening to what God is telling you in His Word. That's why we call it the Word of God. Hear the voice of God in His Word. What happens is, is that when we get ourselves f- physically right and we pour it out, told God we're, what we're thinking and what we're feeling and going through, we open up His Word. It's amazing how His Word begins to, to speak into our heart, to meet the need we need at that every moment jesus said my sheep hear my voice and i know them and they follow me begin hearing god anew and fresh and let god give you a renewed purpose and direction a renewed purpose and direction. So listen to how he, he ends this whole story. First Kings 19, 15 to 17. And the Lord said to him, go back the way you came, Elijah, and go back to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nishmai, king over Israel. Anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat from Abel, Mahola, to succeed you as prophet. What, what's going on? All this, all this has nothing to do with, with this whole emotional thing that Elisha, Elijah's going through, but yeah, it does. You know what God's saying to Elijah? Hey, Elijah, I'm not done with you. I'm not finished with you. You love me. I love you. I've still called you. I still want to use you. I got a new assignment for you. Here, here's some new things I want you to do. And, And he used, God used that moment to re-energize him. Here we go again. I've I've thought about myself. I go through times and and I just get so discouraged sometimes. And it's not often. But I've noticed that God does that in my life. And it's usually, he he gets me to go sleep a little bit longer or, or just take a break and and I've seen him go through the whole thing and he, he gives me a new assignment. Mark, here's the direction I want you to go. Maybe God will do that. Maybe that's the way God will work in your heart. And I'm gonna ask you, would you open your heart to hear God again? Would you open your heart and say, God, here I am Here am I, send me. There's some of you that are listening online today and God is really saying to you, would you give your heart to me? Would you come and know me the God who loves you, the God who made you, would you give your heart to me today? Let me change you from the inside out. And there's some that are watching online and God are are watching in person on all of our campuses and God is saying exactly the same thing to you. Would you give your heart to the Lord? I I was told last week, six people watching online accepted Jesus as their savior last Sunday. And maybe, maybe God's doing that in your heart too. Maybe in person, in just a few moments, you're going to see how you can connect with uh, an online Next Step Center. Then do it. Talk to someone, one of our ministers, about how you can know Jesus as your savior too. Make that decision to give your heart to Christ. And on campus, there's there's a Next Step Center, physically on our campus, go to the Next Step Center and meet God, come to know Jesus, get your heart right with him. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you for all you've done in our life. Now, Father, bless us, move in the hearts of those who are watching online, those, Father, today in person, and move in our heart that we might do your will and we, we, you might take us out of whatever we're going through, maybe, and help us get centered again in our walk with you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.